Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. Dude, it wasn't his fault. He literally did not say the words. He did not want to say the words. He looked at the envelope for, this says Emma Stone, La La Land. That seems wrong to me. I don't know what to do. And it faded on away. He just looked at it. It was just like, La La Land. I just sort of steamrolled him into And then everyone's like, oh, Warren Beatty is an absolute idiot. He didn't do anything wrong. Stop blaming him. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger, of this, the 43rd Well Good Movies, here to echo the words of Regina King as we celebrate film and show how our love of movies can help us get through even the toughest of times. But I can't talk about awards all on my own, so I am joined by my co-host, who may not be as elegantly dressed as, say, Laura Dern, but he's still wickedly talented, the one and only Kai McKeezled. Okay, this is how we're starting then, is it? (laughs) Kai? (laughs) All right, I'd like to thank you for that Dawid Ortiz. It's just a theme of April, of Craig's name just not being announced correctly at the start of each show. Thank God it's the end of April. Yeah. Well, you should just be fearful of what the theme will be next month. <laughs> oh, no, the theme the next month will be me killing you graphically at this rate. <laughs> and speak. Craig's like, hello, welcome to Quell Good Movies. And then just my guest this week. And then it's just no sign of me. I've just disappeared. Well, uh, just like the Academy, we have many prestigious members within our circle, and one of those is our Oscar and awards season expert, Stefanos Florakis. Hello, Stefanos. Hello, and uh, and I'm ready to retire because this award season was way too long. <laughs> yeah, it went on a bit longer this uh, this year, I suppose like the rest of 2020 and 2021. Steph, do you want to know your uh, Travoltified name? As there is a website in which I've got mine and Craig's Travoltified name. Do you want to know yours? Oh, I love hearing my name mispronounced (laughs) every time. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, this isn't even mispronounced. This is just John has just got on off on his own by you. Yours was Sebastian (laughs) Fiskerson. I had to retype it in twice. I was like, are you sure? I was like, okay. So yeah, welcome, Sebastian. Oh, dope. I like. I already have like 12 names. And I'm good to have a 13th. Let me get this straight. Did it literally just see Stefano's names as already Travoltavized and then try to submit it back to what I thought it actually was? I guess it was going with the Adele Dazim of like, Adina isn't at all like Adele so it was just like let's just change this name completely to something else with an S so it, it probably is quite a clever system in that way 
But yeah, I, I can imagine, Steph, you do sympathize with, and I hope I get this right. So, Ya Jung Yoon, factress, uh, supporting oh, role. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's... When she had a moment of being like, you know, I, I forgive you, you know, America and Europe for always mispronouncing my name. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it is supposed to be, if the Yoon is to be the first one, but it's okay. Like, like I said, I don't mind. She won an Oscar and I'm happy about it. So, whatever. <laughs> She was just a highlight throughout the entire awards season. You always have one, I guess. And yeah, she was definitely a highlight when whenever she gave her, her speeches. So what are we talking about in today's episode? In light of the 2021 Oscars, we thought it'd be fun if we talked about our most memorable moments and snubs of the last 10 years. So that's talking all about things that have gone wrong and when we were just overjoyed with happiness. But first off, we wanted to recap this year's ceremony and talk all about the highs and the lows of a very different Oscars. So, it was an interesting show. Uh, It was 58% down on its viewership from previous years, but again, I think as a lot of people say, it's kind of understandable and... The proof's in the pudding as, you know, especially film fans like myself and Craig haven't been as interacted with this awards season, which I think is the case for a lot of people. And the fact that they've put so many films behind barriers and walls. But I thought they did pretty well compared to all the other award shows that we've had, considering the circumstances. But it was quite unique. But what what did you think? Um, You're right. This has been a very... Uh, weird and difficult season and as we said before that uh, we compare it to other sports and very similarly other sports organizations face very similar issues Uh, although on different extents on different circumstances but overall like every other part of the industry has been affected by the pandemic but what I found it to be fascinating is the new mechanics that we'll have to use with these circumstances. So a lot of Zoom calls, uh, which in, more, in some cases it's fine, in other cases it's a bit anticlimactic. Uh, I have been very lucky to have seen all the nominated films and I'm still very surprised that I managed to do that. I went through a lot of virtual festivals and and I used a lot of my savings to buy virtual tickets, which it's true. It's not as exciting as getting an actual physical ticket to see the film on the big screen. But I'm glad that I did some of a bit of my part to help some of these uh, facilities and associations, which they really benefit from that. So when we le- so when we were going to the academy and to that ceremony, we had heard a lot of things about it. And after that point, we have seen multiple other different awards. Some worked better than expected, and some not so well, almost terribly. I'm looking at you, Golden Globes. And and because they were having uh, so Steven Soderbergh as the producer of, of the show, there was some level of expectation. And I have to say that in the beginning, 
I was really loving the ceremony. I like that it was smaller scale, a bit more personal, that the fact that we had actual people uh, physically in the room, or even though they were, and good that we're keeping all the social distancing rules and the fact that they're all tested and my, some of them vaccinated. So, so overall, I was engaged and also felt a bit emotional at times because this felt a bit normal to me. This is, this is the moment that it would have been normal. It would have been very understand, understandable if they wanted to cancel the show, but I'm glad they didn't because this is one of the very few things as film fans can have as normal, especially during this season. And in the beginning, especially what Regina, Regina King was saying in the beginning, and I love the opening with the, with the title cards, which felt like a film and better and better high def cameras and all of that stuff, which I want the, the Academy to do every year now because this looks really nice and very crisp. And I loved which with every presenter saying something personal for each nominee, it felt truly a, a true embrace to the artists and to their work. And that was great. And although I wish they had the musical numbers, which they had the, had pre-recorded and they showed it on the red carpet event, which makes no sense because because all because most of the songs are bangers and the performance they gave were really good and they would be no think for it would have been helpful for the pacing for the whole show. And I kinda miss the 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 clip montages. And specifically for all the actors. Uh, we, and and also for the visual technical achievements for each film. Because if anything else, even though I've seen all of them and I know exactly what the, what, what the work is, there are a lot of people who don't. And uh, and especially, I would have loved to have any kind of footage of Danny Kaluuya and Judas Black Messiah because he's phenomenal in it. But also, because I'm watching the show with my parents, which they're not particularly film buffs, but this is usually the point for them which they're starting having an idea to why they are good. And I and I missed that. I really missed the, those clips. But besides that, I was enjoying it. I liked that all the speeches were in full. There was no musical cue to cut them off. They were being real and personal. Until the memoriam happened. And that was... It's strange that they gave so much time for all the winners to say as much as they want. But all for all the artists who had passed away... They got the absolute minimum. They they went to so fast speeds that I literally thought there was a problem with my TV. I thought it was on fast forwards because I had barely little time to see the the photo and the name and who they are. And just snap, snap, snap. And I couldn't understand why. And it was even worse when they were being more slow on certain people and then for other people a lot more faster. And then it came to the end, which they did the most bizarre thing and and not finishing with the best picture category, but with the best actor, which we're going to talk about that later. 
but I was, I'm not gonna lie, I was upset. And, and every good intention that I had before, it kind of was ruined in the end. Yeah, I think the, yeah, the in memoriam, that can cause controversy even on a normal year, but it did seem odd this of all years, like you said, because they'd given so much time to the speeches, but also because people in general had experienced so much loss already within the year, especially. And to have like Angela Bassett do that like great like speech before it, etc. as well was like really powerful. But then I you know, don't get me wrong, I love me some Stevie Wonder as well. I liked, you know, having that there. But yeah, it was just like like you said, the fact that like so quickly and the fact that you've got actors like Ian Holm coming up and then you don't even get to see like a clip of him in something like Alien or like Lord of the Rings you're like what you know like and that that's why I used to like is when they went to like the the moments of the the actor etc so especially having like Christopher Plummer or someone like that there's so many actors and actresses that we've unfortunately lost so for them to not be given their moment in that way was unfortunate and the fact that they left out like jessica walter i was really surprised that she she wasn't included i thought that was um that was very unfortunate i think uh, naya rivera is another one that people have pointed out but yeah the the whole ending on the actors thing is just bizarre to me even again on any other year i don't really see how that's like the big award of the night and everyone's like oh who's it gonna be because yeah they might have anticipated if it was chadwick that that would have been a, a nice moment to to end on but it, at the same time it would have been quite a sort of sad somber moment to end on so it's almost as if they took Nomadland's big celebratory moment which we have with so many of the films when they win you know like Parasite everyone's there like partying and really happy and then you get to like sort of leave on this high it almost took that away from Nomadland as well which is unfortunate again because that film is celebrating a lot of diversity and having like a female director who's like the second female director to ever win uh you know at the oscars so just to check did they literally announce nomadland uh so best picture and then do was it literally just the best actor that was left last no they they did the best picture third to last and then best actress and the best actor what even is the rationale behind doing it like that well, the the main assumption, which possibly it is that one, is the fact that the producers were anticipating Boseman to win and they wanted to end with this heartwarming tribute from his widow. But the thing is, producers don't know who wins. They only know at the moment of the ceremony. So they basically made a huge gamble, even though there were a lot of people the last couple of weeks who have been saying that Anthony Hopkins might win, but they still went with it. That has got to be an awful day for the Academy to just look at each other and just go, oh, wow, we are just being portrayed like dicks right now. Fair play. Just, I just don't get... Also, just the, the memoriam thing. I just don't understand why you'd ever want to try and... Like, how far in advance of the ceremony must they have made that tribute did they just make it thinking it was meant to be for february then two extra months happened they just went all right fine we'll just check it on yeah that's what it seems like sometimes when they do miss out people you're like well did you just not add time have time to add them on to the to the montage but yeah i think 
it's an interesting one and i think that like steph said there's elements of it which i really liked and i would i think that even though the the venue that they did it in kind of made it look more like the golden globes i don't think it's a bad thing that they kind of got rid of the theater in the sense that it feels like all these people all these famous people like looking at the stage like a cinema i quite like the casualness of them being at the table and all that kind of stuff it felt a bit more sociable and a bit more like you were in the room rather than just watching like a bunch of actors just staring at the stage yeah but wasn't the venue this year a train station it was like san francisco train station wasn't it oh no it was the union station on la oh la station i do apologize but yeah still a train station (laughs) <laughs> well it's like that train that they use in the simpsons where they've turned it into a restaurant it kind of it does it does still look fancy <laughs> so. i mean to be fair based on all the other train stations i've been in that's a very fancy one i'm not gonna lie yeah exactly yeah but if we you know want to use the analogy of a train wreck then you know maybe that is more apt now in terms of the the end of of that show but the only thing i think that the the atmosphere and like you said Steph the whole like talking about people's memories and not having the clips and it being in quite a sort of quiet venue because obviously you can't have the orchestra and all that kind of stuff does mean that you lose out on the prestige of the show of it in a way it felt very much like you were kind of sat in a company awards show like you know when like a work does like a sort of like, oh, we're so proud of Jennifer and all this kind of stuff, who's done this. It kind of felt like you were just sort of like watching a workplace <laughs> award show, like a big end of year celebration in which you're just like, I, I don't know this person personally, like I'm happy for them, but you can tell obviously there's that bit more interaction of, of actors who are just like, you know, have met each other at parties and know each other. So there was an air of being an outsider almost, which I don't think helps the Oscars in terms of appealing to to an audience more in the future because they have been struggling with their ratings so much. But I, I don't know how they really save that, to be honest. I don't know how the awards format in general really will survive. I It's just not a very modern thing just by, by its very concept, um, apart from like when you look at like music award shows, but they're very different. They, you know, become a concert because they're able to have people perform uh, on stage, etc., and do their big songs and make it this big glitzy event. Whereas film, it's harder because, you know, you can't <laughs> you can't have the film, you know, up on screen apart from just clips, etc. Yeah, or, or and you can't really use much music in there because you could end up doing something silly like, the two surviving members of the Queen being on stage singing one of the songs that the two fallen comrades did it, and you're doing with a one guy from American Idol. Yeah, I'm still traumatized by that. But <laughs> but I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, and I do think they should have used the clips, or they should have used the pre-recorded or best songs and performances. Because even though I was enjoying it, because it is far more on my taste, but I but I did feel on the midpoint a bit of a flat tone, and it needed to have something to up uh, to fix the pacing, and also the whole trivia music game was so bad. I don't know mm. why they actually made that thing. I mean, yes, it was extremely entertaining to see Clint Close doing the butt. Yeah, but again. 
that she is she single handedly saved the whole bit because without her it would have been just five minutes of nothingness, which you could have just spent that time to doing a proper memoriam. But yes, yeah, they've had so many like jokes and bits that they've done in the past which have just fallen flat and yeah that was one of them thankfully like i said glenn close managed to to save it slightly uh lastly steph is just any what you know what are the big takeaways for you in terms of winners losers etc uh which sort of stand out to you as your main five or or something like that all right uh if you go to fresh hub you're gonna find all my predictions and 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 I, and I love the fact that when I wrote about Viola Davis not winning, and I used the main reasoning that Ma Rainey was not much loved from the Academy by losing the Best Picture nomination, but then I didn't really use that with Bozeman, and and I look back at it and I'm thinking how stupid of me, of using that critique for the one and not for the other, because in the end. My actual choices, the ones that I actually wanted to win, won. And although at one part I'm extremely happy, but the other one, I just hate myself as someone who is such a snob about predictions. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but overall, I am actually very happy about the wins. Normal Land was my favorite film of last year, and especially Chloe Zhao being the first wo- first woman of color to win best director is amazing but also frustrating because it's been 93 years and but and also this might be the first time since 2008 when Donny Day-Lewis Marion Cotillard Javier Bardem and Taylor Swinton won for the acting categories since then this might be the first time that all four acting categories went to my favorite choices. And and I'm extremely happy, but I just I really am angry at the producers mm-hmm. for doing the way they did it. Because by pushing the two lead acting categories to the end, you took away so much from it. Because, yeah, Nomadland wins Best Picture, but at that point, I couldn't feel happy about it. I couldn't be ecstatic and emotional for that moment. Because I'm back in my mind, I was thinking, but who wins the other two awards? Like, this should have been the ending. This should have been the celebration of, for this group of people, which also real-life nomads were on, on stage, and the majority of the, uh, of the people in there were women. And... No, and I can't think about that. I'm thinking that, but who's going to win best actress or best actor now? Like, but the, so you're telling me that we have more now? Like, the, I still, I really, and and I'm so angry because they took it away from me. And imagine they took it all also away from them, because instead of talking about Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand, we talk about the best actor category. And it's actually very similar to the whole Moonlight and La La Land. That was because also these two films, they're not be remembered for the for them, for their achievement. They're remembered because of that one stupid mistake. And and that same goes for Francis McDormand and Anthony Hopkins later on. Because also you could see McDormand on stage winning for Best Actress. And you could see like, well, there's not much else to say. Like, 
I already said my stuff. So I'm just going to quote Macbeth, which I'm like, dope. I mean, she is actually working on a Macbeth film with Joel Cohen and Denzel Washington. So I'm like, well, Oscar number five over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then with Anthony Hopkins, it's just, because he gives one of his best performances. I truly believe it was the best performance in that category. But making it so, how can I say, in a way manipulative and and commercial, you not only offend Bozeman's memory, you also offend Hopkins. Because also, by the way, Hopkins actually did offer to do a Zoom call, and they said, no, we, we don't want to do Zoom calls. They had to say, they had to come go to London to do the satellite hub, or come to LA. Which, by the way, he's he's over 80 years old in the pandemic. There's, there's no way he would need to risk so much just to get an award. Yeah, the optics of it is not good at all. And I think that, thankfully, Bozeman's family have clarified that they don't see it as a snub. You know, the uh, Chadwick didn't really so care about that kind of stuff. He saw it as more of a campaign rather than an actual, like, achievement or, like, recognition in that way, which is also true. I think a lot of the times, like, the Academy, etc., will highlight people who've been in the industry for so long and they'll award them for their legacy, etc., whereas, like you said earlier... You know, the Oscars is about a campaign and it's not necessarily always the best performance that does win. Uh, but as somebody from Wales, obviously it's hard not to sort of like be happy for Andy Hopkins, especially when it's dealing with something like dementia, etc. But like you said, I think that the the optics of the night just didn't go in his favor because it just meant that because the 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 evening fell flat then and you didn't have the celebration of something like Nomadland and you had the disappointment of people expecting Chadwick to win in which he did do, you know, obviously like a very great performance, but there was some people who still had that element of like, well, should he win just because he is unfortunately passed away? But it just meant that, and unfortunately, Anthony Hopkins was used as a scapegoat for that. So anybody out there who, you know, I know loads of people on Twitter are saying, you know, for shame on people who are saying that like Anthony Hopkins is to blame for this, because again, it's not Anthony Hopkins fault that the Academy voted for him, etc. And he did, you know, uh, mention bozeman in his eventual speech but again all of the drama which we're used to in the oscars and makes for these memorable moments as you said earlier uh steph in one of uh one of the most memorable moments so that's what we're going to talk about now is previous uh top moments from the oscars and what make them so memorable and as uh steph alluded to it earlier then i think we'll go to uh to this one first in terms of uh Likely because it is probably one of the most memorable of the last 10 years. So, Craig, what is your memorable moment? Picture this. You have the presenters of Warren Beatty and Faye Donaway coming on the stage to announce the best picture for 2016. It's a situation where people have been watching the award season that they've been watching La La Land continually gaining a lot of momentum when secretly in the background there's a beautiful poignant film about the uh, about like the lives of people uh, people specifically uh, of like black gay origin in the background that probably deserves to win but is being over, uh, is being overlooked 
by this mammoth of a musical. And you have this perception going in to that win. And then they do their moments. They list out all the nominations. And they open that envelope. There's a moment of confusion on Warren Beatty's face. He doesn't know what to do. He shows the envelope to Fade On Away. Where she glances at it without giving a moment's thought. Just goes, La La Land. And everyone's in roar. And all of the cast and crew, uh, like the producers of La La Land go on stage. At this point, you then see loads and loads of Oscar staff hurrying onto the stage, addressing to people uh, what's going on to the point that we're a bit confused. You literally then have Jordan Horowitz like coming up to the microphone after having another producer, Fred Berger, uh, Berger being told what's going on, making an impassioned speech, finishing it with, we lost, by the way. And then... Revealing the actual envelope that shows Moonlight won. I know everyone has to go, oh, celebrate for them instead. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. Such a perfect moment to sort of overtake because there were lots of people who just were not absolutely on the La La Land bandwagon. I think, like, David and I, at the time, I think we watched it and we are like, yeah, that, that's an okay film, but I don't think it necessarily deserves to be the best, you know, best picture winner. I think we came out of Moonlight going, yeah, that that seems like it would be a more impassioned winner. I don't know how it would ever win. We just had these ingrained biases in our head that the, the Academy would just never recognise a film like that. It was just like, they're gonna be won over by La La Land. Uh, but whatever so the fact that then happens it just felt perfect because it was just the absolute overthrow and just the recognition that like moonlight does deserve but obviously just jarring and how it comes about the only thing that annoys me about that moment is that everyone afterwards even jimmy kimmel comes on stage and just goes to warren Beatty. what did you do dude it wasn't his fault he literally did not say the words he did not want to say the word he looked at the envelope for this says emma stone la la land that seems wrong to me. I don't know what to do. And it's Faye Donaway who just looked at it. It was just like, la la land. I just sort of steamrolled him into And then everyone's like, oh, Warren Beatty is an absolute idiot. He didn't do anything wrong. Stop blaming him. For God's sake. But even that in and of itself, just all of the, all of the memes that come out of that are also just worth it in and of themselves. I think it's probably the most memed mo uh, moment from the Oscars that I can remember. Especially considering, like, literally you just take the shot where it shows the envelope. Because I think it's one of the few times we actually see the inside of the envelope properly. And people are just putting whatever they want in it. <laughs> one of my favourites was when Spec Savers actually did put, like, should have gone to Spec Savers on the envelope. But I was just like, touche, Spec Savers, touche. That was great. But yeah, that was a great meme format of just having the envelope. And it goes to show as well, like how dramatic those moments become because they become so meme worthy because it's not just somebody's come on stage and be like, sorry, guys, you know, somebody just comes on very boring, explains what's happened. It's like, no, like that Jordan guy came on like, guys, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. And then like Warren Beatty or someone's holding the envelope like, oh, and he just grabs it out of their hand. It goes, moonlight, moonlight. And I, when I was rewatching this, the fact that they zoom in on it and I'm like, that guy right now is just standing there like this as we're watching this envelope and he's like you won you won and it's, it's so 
So it's so theatrical in that sense. And I guess it's not surprising because we're dealing with actors and people within Hollywood. What I love as well is that the accountant responsible for the mistake from PwC, of course it's from PwC. I have a few friends who are accountants and they constantly talk about like there's a big uh, there's a big four in the firms and PwC is one of one of the worst ones. That's that's mm-hmm. not a good moment for them, especially considering <laughs> that guy was told to stay off social media for a bit, especially during the ceremony. But he couldn't help himself. It's just absolute madness. Yeah, I think the next year they were like, we've triple checked the envelopes and all that kind of stuff, wasn't it? Uh, Steph, what, what are your memories of this? I remember it was back in 2017. I was back in my not old house. It was the second old house. And I was just with majority of my housemates. I was the only one who actually cared at the moment. The other ones just around. And then when the mistake happens, even my housemate who cared the least out of all of us just was in awe of the moment. And yeah. It was great because it's great television. I'm not going to lie. The, the drama of it is ecstatic. But, but I think the backlash of it is the part that annoys me. Because like I said before, now both films are forever known as these two films. I mean, even Screen Junkies did an honest trailer for... La La Land, and then halfway there, halfway through, they changed it to an Australia for Moonlight. And it's frustrating that this has become the legacy. And also, the fact that this one stupid mistake, similarly to how Norman Land this year, its victory was kind of stolen from the moment. Because at the, because, because at the point, I didn't really think about Oh my God, the best film of the year actually won. No, I was thinking, how did this happen? <laughs> and it took me so out of it, and it shouldn't, because for one, this is the first all-black cast film to win Best Picture. And instead of focusing that, I was still I was still focusing on the bloody envelope. So yeah, so even though the memes are great, I do I do like the comedy behind it in the future but unfortunately I do feel that this is what Moonlight has been remembered the most for mainstream audience and that kind of makes me sad true but it also is indicative as Craig said to what the Oscars has become in the sense of like oh yeah La La Land because they love to have films that sort of go back and are about the industry and are sort of like idolizing the old Hollywood so because that was so idolized and seen as the obvious winner to then have moonlight actually be the winner it was kind of reflecting that in a way of like oh no it was actually this really innovative you know different film and yeah i think the reaction in the room sort of highlights that and it's kind of like as an audience member you add that like oh thank god you know so i think it's uh it's just awkward as well to watch just the fact that they are when you watch rewatch it the fact that they're there like when you watch the full speech the fact that that producer jordan does like give a full speech like a proper oscar speech some other guy comes on does a full speech and you could just see all the mayhem in the background and you're like oh god this is so awkward so i you know you can't help but feel really bad for them regardless of you know 
wanting Moonlight to win. I think that's the worst thing about it is because it's happened before, hasn't it? I think it even happened at a Miss World competition in, um, oh, what's that presenter called? The one who does like Family Fortunes in America, Steve. Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, when he like, d- didn't they like the wrong Miss World got announced and he was like, it's my fault. I misread the envelope. It's like that awkward moment where they have to take the crown off like the one woman and give it to the other. It's like, oh, it, it's such a cringe moment. So awkward, but it kind of does reflect the the change in Hollywood sensibilities. But again, you know, we're not remembering it for the the right reasons. Uh, we'll go, go on to a more celebratory moment. Uh, so, Steph, what is your memorable moment? The year was 2020. Not that 2020, the good one, the, the first two months. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the award season was actually shorter than, than most other ones. And there was one huge uh, blockbuster, epic war film called 1917. And very similarly to La La is it was, it was winning everything. It wasn't even on our radar when, when the season started. But slowly, it started getting momentum. And not only the film, but also directors and mentors, they were both winning multiple awards. So when we went to the Oscars, we all kind of were expecting to at least to win one of them. Little do we know that there was this small, little Korean film that somehow captured the whole industry. And and that's how Bon Ho and Parasite won Best Director and Best Picture, making it the first foreign language film to ever win Best Picture. Parasite. Let's just say that me as a Korean, I always knew that I wanted something like this to happen, but I didn't know how much until it actually did. And David remembers because I was messaging him during that time. And I was such an awe and extremely emotional when Bong Joon-ho won best director. He was up there giving an amazing speech. Uh, Still, I think it's the best one during that ceremony. And then when Jane Fonda said the title of the film for best picture and seeing all this group of Koreans on stage, I would say one of the very few moments that I felt real representation of my own culture I was just nearly sobbing. And, and to be honest, and, and I think that's why to go back to Moonlight, I feel for so many people of, of, uh, of uh, African American descent or a, or any other black descent, because that was a moment that they kind of stolen away from them. And because now I know how it feels. I understand them, and my goodness, I don't think I will ever forget that. And also, the most amazing part is that the fact that the whole theater 
were celebrating about it. And that is something I never thought I'd see, that a Korean film would be celebrated by everyone in that room. And yeah, and so uh, that's, I'm getting emotional right now talking about it. It also brings back the good memories of, like you said, watching it live, having the, you know, the build up to it. Because like you said, it was in the good half of, of 2020. So again, like, where's the moonlight la la land situation unfortunately i think when that happened it was one of those years in which i maybe watched it when it first started in the middle of the night and was like uh you know what i'm I'm too tired for this i think i'd work the next day so i just went to sleep and then when i woke up and saw that on my phone i was like oh god why did i go to sleep i missed that but uh but with this one you know i was glad that you know we stayed up for it and saw it as it happened you know so like i remember me and craig experiencing it um that's that's not technically true, David. Remember that I, w- I went to bed. Uh, I had left. Oh, was it? Yeah, because what I specifically said was, I, I'm feeling really tired. I've got work. If Parasite wins, you are to ring me, wake oh, me up, yeah. and I'll experience it. Audience, I want it known. Mm. I woke up <laughs> the next morning at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, getting mm. ready for work. I thought, oh, I wasn't woken up. Parasite must not have won. That's a bit sucky. Looking at the news, it says Parasite won. And I'm just like, David, why didn't you wake me up despite me asking you to? He said, oh, I didn't want to wake you. No, that's what I asked you to do. I just thought it was one of those, like, I'm asking you to do this, but I don't really mean it kind of things. A similar thing happened with Spotlight, didn't it? Spotlight, uh, you did actually text. You text me. I went to sleep and you text me. Yeah. You didn't even mm. message me anything. You... <laughs> Either way, it was a nice moment. On <laughs> <was> my own. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, Steph, it was nice for the fact that you had... you. It was just... You were just seeing something different on stage. You were seeing people of Asian backgrounds on the stage, which in itself, you were like, I've never seen this before. And that is terrible. You know, the fact that you had like this big Asian cast fill in the stage you could feel the excitement you could feel the love you could tell how much they were sort of getting on board with it and the fact that Bong Joon-ho already you know when he won best director but he you know he said oh I thought I was calming down after you know they had won uh you know best was it they won best foreign film script and then like that's when he thought his night was done and then it just kept going on so that was what was also like great about about that moment yeah, and uh, and also I do need to give huge thanks to Slumdog Millionaire. Why I say that? Because that, no, it wasn't necessarily the first film, but it was definitely the film that started doing the the, the, uh, the tradition of the best picture film for the whole cast and crew to go on stage. Because that's what Slumdog right, Millionaire yeah. did. And I, rem- I remember back then when... People were saying a lot in the media the fact that they haven't seen so many people from India or, or India did it descend descent on stage at the Oscars. And ever since then, that became uh, like the the tradition of the of the Academy. So yeah, so I do want to thank them for doing that because I think I think that's the beauty now of that specific award because. And I th- because it's not anymore about just the producers, it's now the whole collective going in. 
And I think that's why I'm even bigger distaste now for what the producers did this year, because instead of celebrating the whole film and the whole group of people, it just wanted to go for the singular artists or it was singers, artists, singular celebrity, which that just frustrates me even more than what I think now. <laughs> Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeem. I just love this so much. I could just watch it over and over again because it's just the way that he says it with such assurance. Because even though afterwards he says, oh, I'll explain what happened. And he describes what was going through his head and how he was confused by apparently phonetic spelling, uh, which wouldn't make Adele Dazeem. So when you, you watch it back, you're like, no, you look like you pretty much know what you're saying, apart from the disease bit. I love the way that he says, like, the wickedly talented. So it, it's so confident. It's so cocky going in. It's so, like, of that theatrics of the Oscars to then be like, Adele... Dazim, and it's just the way it like peters off as if he was like, Oh, I f-ed up, and then there's no kind of like look inside or weird cutaways or anything, it's just him like turning, like, Yeah, I got that right, and then you just go to Indina Menzel and you're thinking, Oh god, what must she be thinking right now? And because it was such a memed moment, because it did so much, especially for her career, obviously it's been mentioned and talked about in interviews since and it's interesting because Endina Menzel said you know at the moment she was like oh I just had to you know focus my mind and get my mind off it so I was already thinking to myself the massive pressure that I had on myself to get this song right because she was in front of Hollywood royalty and such massive stars in terms of like musicals etc And the stuff that she was doing to focus on that moment, then for about eight seconds, I think she said, she was like, oh God. And I think we've all had that in which like the names be mispronounced or somebody has said something wrong and you're kind of just there on the sidelines like, oh God's sake. But you're like, right, forget about that. Forget about that. So you can only sympathize in that situation. And yeah, it just makes me laugh what, what was going through John Travolta's head, like it just goes to show a lot of the time we have these Hollywood celebrities which just say or do weird things. And John Travolta is quite an odd character, so it, it sticks to that aspect of him. And yeah, it's just funny because it's just nothing like her name. And ev- and because Frozen was such a big hit, Let It Go was such a big hit, I think it makes it even more stand out. If it was a singer that we didn't know as much, it wouldn't have landed as much. But the fact that it just like, who is that? <laughs> and again, you can only sympathize with her. Obviously, it was also brought back when Indina Menzel introduces John Travolta as Glom Gazinga. <laughs> so it just made this entire scenario. Um, but you do have to question John Travolta's thinking during this. Like, apparently he was distracted by Goldie Hawn. He wasn't told when he was going on. He was just rushed out onto stage. And then he was looking at like a, a phonetic spelling of it and fluffed it from that but still i don't understand how that happened but <laughs> what i want to know is uh was glom gazinga actually made by one of the various uh travolta uh name generators <laughs> yeah. that exist on the internet steph what what's uh what's your memories of it i remember that 
I thought that he was an actual singer. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought about someone else to sing Let It Go. And I was very confused. And then she appeared and I was like, I, w- I, I, w- I have so many questions at the moment. And to be honest, and I, and I, and I can tell that she was kind of thrown off at the moment because let's be honest her, her performance of that song uh, and that ceremony was wasn't the best and i don't know why i know a lot of performances were happened live on in at the oscars they're not necessarily the best ones like the same thing well, not the same thing but surprisingly the singer adele <laughs> had also not a good performance of sky for the previous year yeah, sometimes there's something about like the acoustics, even in the venue, which just doesn't make them sound great. But yeah, there's often they just, I don't know, the instrumentals around it, maybe because they're just more of a film show than a music show. But yeah, they, they never seem to quite land. But I can confirm when you put in the one I used, the Travolta-fied name, uh, they did come up with Glom Gazinga when I typed in John Travolta. Of course it did. But yeah, no, it, it was a funny moment, to be honest. it's Now we look back at it and it's just... Then you understand a lot more what Travolta is as a person. <laughs> and and after seeing a lot of his recent films, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, you're not the 90s anymore. <laughs> which is which is fine. You know, we always have Pulp Fiction and uh, Friday Night Fever or Saturday Night Fever. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he's just an odd character these days. Even when I watched that Jimmy Kimmel interview when he was describing what happened, I was like, you look so odd. You can like see like the the weird like fake hair, hair line he's had like implanted and like he's got like this weird makeup on, etc. He's he's a strange character. I mean, anyone who performs like that in Battlefield Earth has got to have something significantly wrong with them. Yeah, true. Oh, uh, yes, the magnum opus. Oh, what a film. <laughs> Let us uh, let us know at home what are your most memorable moments from the last 10 years. Uh, but we'll now go on to our most memorable snubs. So, uh, Craig, what, what is your most memorable snub, one or two snubs from the past 10 years? So the first snub I want to talk about is in the animated category, because I think that uh, for the year that it came out, it was quite notable that it happened. Bear in mind that the Academy... Uh, have been known to put in some absolute garbage into the best animated uh, animated uh, picture categories, such as like Despicable Me 2, The Boss Baby, uh, loads of things like that. And also just completely neglecting genuinely good films, such as Pokemon the Movie Free, Spell of the Unknown, a film that every time I hear any form of review about it only ever talks about the incredibly good psychological things it does with the characters, and then turn around and say, but it's a Pokemon movie, so it still must be bad, um, to the point that the Academy just do that just with load of, load of films. I don't know. But there was one particular one, I think 2014, that specifically I think a lot of people raised eyebrows at insofar as uh, not getting any form of inclusion. And I think it's then had a sort of spanning legacy of this particular like franchise basically being completely overlooked over and over again uh which is the lego movie no nomination for best animated film which is baffling given that not only was it an incredibly enjoyable uh incredibly enjoyable very uh family friendly uh film insofar as like the comedy uh as well as the message it wants to go for but it also just had a striking visual style which for like 
what the Academy often like to, you know, reward, they like to reward animated films, which aren't just, you know, your usual CGI sort of entertainment Pixar film, but they they do honor anime, they do honor like stop motion films. This was literally a film where the CGI was so good they literally made Lego look as if it was just actively moving on its own. That's how high quality it was. And it just gets nothing. And like I can't remember some of the films that was that did get nominations that uh, that year. I think it was the year that Big Hero Six eventually went on to win. So I can tell you that the nominees from that year were Big Hero Six, The Box Trolls, uh. How to Train Your Dragon Two, okay, Song enough. of the S- Song of the Sea, and The Tale of the Princess uh, Kaguya. 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 I mean, to be fair, that's a, that's a solid list. To be fair, yeah. it is a solid. It is a solid list, but I think there is a degree to uh, degree to which I think Lego Movie could definitely could definitely have slotted in there somewhere. I mean. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I do like Big Hero Six. I just did not. I do not think it was as novel as the Lego Movie, which basically made it look like it just went in as sort of the the Disney sort of nomination. Um, and then obviously you've got the optics of even if it is a good sequel, it's still a it's still an animated sequel of How to Train Your Dragon Two going in. Like it's just an absolute shame that it just didn't get recognition, and because of that as well. None of the other Lego movies have also been looked at in any way either. So, like Lego Batman or Lego Movie Two were both fantastic, uh, both fantastic films that also could have been could have been worthy, but it just seems like it's not part of like the Academy style when it comes to that. To the point that they also don't get anything, which is also incredibly bad. Like, what was up in twenty seventeen? Because like that was the year that Lego Batman was out. What was? Oh, you're gonna get what angry. Would it been up against oh, you're gonna get angry. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Go on. Go okay, on. Uh, the year that the Lego Batman movie was legitimate to get nominated, and it didn't, but the ones that did, and I'm going to name the bad ones, because the other are like, The Boss Baby and Ferdinand. Ferdinand? Oh, for God's sake. Ah, what are you doing? I think that Craig said, it's just like when you have like, I know people like love How to Train Your Dragon, but again, it's just like How to Train Your Dragon Two. Like, come on, you know, at least like give a film that's at least an original film. Like, a lot of what works about How to Train Your Dragon Two is like the benefits it has from the first film, or at least go with the Lord of the Rings model of like award the third film because it you know wraps everything up. So, yeah, and, and I agree with Craig. I just think the Big Hero Six, while I love that film, is great. There's just nothing like standout about it. There's nothing like exceptional about it. And I think that it does go to show that they do have a a bias towards the embedded studios within animation. So Ardman, like this year, it was so weird the Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon got nominated. Whereas they just have a lot of loyalty to, to Ardman, so they usually get in. They obviously have a lot of loyalty to Laker, which I think is fair. You know, they they do some beautiful stuff. Uh, they have the loyalty to Studio Ghibli, but that's not to say that they do, you know, nominate other anime. And the same with uh, what's the studio Steph that does Song of the Sea and Wolf Walkers and oh, uh, Cartoon Saloon, which I absolutely adore. Yeah. So again, that th- that is like justified. So it just goes to show that this like Warner Brothers is just left out. Then it's amazing then that. Sony managed to get in there with Spider-Verse, which actually then won, which was why that was such an amazing win. 
But yeah, the fact that this keeps happening and because the Lego movie did have such an inventive storyline, it wasn't just like, I think a lot of members, because the problem is, I'm right in thinking that Academy members don't have to watch all the nominees, do they? Uh, Actually, for the nominations, it works with branches. So the ones who nominated Best Animated Feature are usually the animated branch, which that makes it more weird, weird, to be honest. Yeah, but in terms of the actual, the win, like what the people choose for the, what they want to be the winner, it's not so, say, Best Picture, for example, the, the people who choose the winners don't have to watch all 10 nominations. Am I right in thinking that? No, no, they don't. Either way, it just comes across as like, I've seen the Pixar film because my kid watched it. It seems very much like they just haven't seen Song of the Sea. They haven't seen the Lego movie and they hear Lego movie and go, oh, it's just like some toy animated straight to DVD film. They don't realize that they've actually taken it and made quite a sort of inventive toy story, real world story about a kid using his imagination and having this confrontation with his father, etc. So... That's what to me was like unfortunate about it is just that the fact that it did have this more deeper, meaningful story and was very inventive, but it just seemed to be struck off on the the sense of, oh, it's just a Lego movie. It's like, well, no, if you actually watched it, you'd realize that isn't the case. <laughs> but, I, but I do have faith in, in studios like Cartoon Saloon, Leica, and, and especially Sony, because I think they're really after Spider-Verse, they really go the next level. And I'm very happy. But as for the Lego movie, I do agree. It should have been nominated. Uh, for animated feature, but I even go to the extent of it should be nominated for original screenplay. Like, and I do, I am, and I, I am quite upset that the Academy sometimes overlooks animated films to the bigger categories. Uh, but and yeah, and I do think that the Big Hero Six, even though it is good, it's enjoyable. I do feel like out of all the films, even the ones that did get nominated that year, I did find to be the wicked one out of, out of the bunch. Uh, yeah, I I rewatched it recently, and I think I just found aspects of the dialogue just really, really hack like hacky. Because like it's just at the beginning, uh, beginning when they're just in the the chase scene, and they just talk about the way they establish he's a boy genius, and he's just wasting his life. It's just very, very textbook. There's no nuance to it. Or at least with like Lego Movie, everything because it's done in such a childlike way, they they actually get a surprising amount of nuance just by doing dialogue in the very, very straightforward mat uh, manner. Yeah, everything is done there is done for like a silly way and then you're like what's happening and then you get to the end of the film yeah. and you're like oh i get it all now you know so yeah even the sound even the sound effects mm, exactly perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh craig what what's your second one my second one is a little bit more personal so basically around the beginning of 27 uh around the beginning of 2017 uh i wasn't in a good place for various reasons uh and this was around the time where david and i were basically going to watch films that pretend, were being advertised as potential award contenders. Uh, I think Odeon had like a, a big poster of all the films that they they knew were being released because they were trying to go for the Oscar push. And one of the films that they, uh, they showed that we went to watch was A Monster Calls. Um, I came out of it uh, even more emotionally destroyed than I already was, uh, but generally came out of it loving the film, thinking it was a fantastic story, uh, specifically about the way in which uh, children have to deal with 
uh, like grief and the idea of like letting go through like traumatic experiences of illnesses. Um, and it was just a, a really beautiful, it was just a really beautiful film. Um, and it had like good CGI incorporation with, uh, with the, um, uh, the yew tree, uh, being played by Liam Neeson, uh, being played by Liam Neeson, just being done in an incredibly sophisticated way, the way in which they use the stories to incorporate the way, uh, that the characters should learn. Um, yeah, I thought it was beautiful and particularly, uh, and I will, I will die on this hill. The best child actor I've seen in my entire life so far in uh, Lewis McDougall uh, as the ma- as the main character. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal actor, and it was just a great performance. Uh, the way in which he dealt with just like the rage and frustration, and I thought, you know what, this could be the first time in the. A... I-, I mean, I don't know if there are like any rules against this, but. Jesus Christ, if there is, like, an Oscar-nominated contender and a kid, I'm definitely looking at him right now. Let al- um, and then the, the awards uh, nominations came out. Absolutely nothing from Monster Calls. Absolutely nothing. And I was angry. I was angry as all hell. That noth- at no- at in no stage this film has been recognized for any of its visual effects with what it's done with the yew tree monster like none of like the adapt like adapted screenplay like not even for like supporting actors for like sigourney uh, for sigourney weaver as as the grandmother or felicity jones as like the dying mother nothing and i was angry as all hell because i i just think it's a film that um, people it didn't even get like best of best original song for uh, for Keane's Tear Up This Town. Uh, granted, obviously, that was a song that wasn't that wasn't really utilised within the story itself. It's just an end credit song. But, like, just they had nothing. And I think it deserved a lot better than what it got. It, it basically just went the rounds on, like, a lot of film festivals to the point that in... I can't remember the... I, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's, like, the, the, the Garvey Awards in Catalonia. It swept, like, every category it was nominated for. And, like... Uh, Lewis McDougall was getting a lot of awards for like best young performer, etc. But just nothing at the academies just made me incredibly sad. Yeah, and the fact you got J. A. Bayona, which directed it, who had a good name from The Impossible, etc. So it it's surprising in that sense as well. Uh, Steph, what what what's your feelings on a Monster Calls? Actually, Monster Calls was the first film I watched uh, on the London Film Festival, and it was during my second year here. In- in the UK, and and initially I was going to watch surprisingly Moonlight during that time, and and because I was staying for quite for the whole day, I just wanted to book a second film because why not? Why not we have a next chance? <laughs> and now I'm becoming an addict of film festivals, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and it was the first film I watched when I arrived to London. Uh, I was also in tears. Yeah, I was really surprised to what it was. And I was very surprised at how little coverage it got from people. And, and even in the festival, in the, in the theater, there were, it wasn't sold out. It wasn't very busy. And I found it so bizarre because, it, because also at that time, first Jones was promoting World One. So I was expecting there would be something. Uh, down the line, because there are many films in the award seasons that usually do get the momentum in the end, just like The Father with Anthony Hopkins. That is a film that got into the game very late, but then managed to do something. 
but yeah, um, very. It is a very good film. I do agree. Uh, visual effects. I was expecting it maybe because the visual effects branch in the academy are very weird and bizarre. They usually go with a small film. I mean, a good example is the fact that Ex Machina won um, best visual effects over Star Wars: The Force Awakens and Mad Max Fury Road. So it's not like the don't. There's no past with the academy actually caring about small films. But to be honest, I do. I think I should be blame on the or whoever did the campaigning, possibly. And I agree. I actually do agree with young actors should be in the conversation on acting categories, uh, as it's not as even though there've been several uh, young actors to get nominated, they usually are put on the supporting categories, which is. Absolutely insane and wrong because there's so many films that the kids are obviously the leads. A great example is Jacob Tremblay in Room. For some reason, they were pushing him for supporting actor, even though it is his film. It's his film. If anything else, Brie Larson is a supporting character to him. <laughs> and yeah, and, and and I agree very much about the whole sentiment from Greg. It is a very beautiful film, very good. And and I will even say, I think it's even better than some of the films that got nominated for Best Picture. I love Lion. I really do. Death Patel is amazing. But I do think Master Calls is better than Lion. Yeah, and the fact that the Rotten Tomatoes did the Golden Tomato Awards, and there it had like, it. well, it was like second, third place, but it said like Best British Film, um, Best Kids Slash Family Movie, which I'm not sure about that. That's quite a dark film for like, you know, like kids. Uh, but No, you know, no, you know what? Mm. It's a good thing. I, oh. do th- I do think it's a family film because it is a family film that is not afraid to go to hard subjects, but it is designed to to children to understand it. Oh, yeah. That's why I'd say family film, but I'm not sure about like a kid's film. Like, But yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but the fact that they've mentioned it as British film as well, even more weird that the BAFTAs didn't uh, pick it up, which seems to be a running trend as well. Like there's just never an emphasis on like these are Brit- this is British cinema. It never seems like... Britain as a film community sort of gets behind them and BAFTA doesn't really seem to either. Obviously, you don't, you know, you don't want BAFTA to just give the BAFTA to a British film every year. Um, but they, Well, sometimes they do. Yeah, but uh, sometimes they do seem a bit out of the loop in terms of like what the Oscars do tend to actually end up uh, rewarding. But yeah, I agree with Monster Calls. Like I said, it was a great film. It was just unfortunate they didn't get any, any attention. Just, you know, like I said, even just for the beautiful animation that it has. Yeah, I think that's why I I actually really love this year's BAFTA's nominees. Because even though it was quite unorthodox the way they did the major categories, I love how much um, appreciation they gave to British films and British actors. So I do believe that maybe Master's Calls was one of those British films that came out way too early. I think if that film came out now he would have had so much more praise and more attention. Yeah, there are so many snubs through the last 10 years. Like, I could have, I could have just said any year that we were campaigning against the Oscar So White. Like, any of them year I would say it's a huge snub on all, on all our actors of minorities. But I'm not going to touch that. 
because that is a whole different conversation for a whole different episode. So I'm going to go with the ones that I felt far more personal. And and one of them is quite negative and the other one is far more positive. Now for my negative, it's kind of similar to what you guys have been saying. And, but specifically, it's about the Oscars of 2017 and the omission of Amy Adams' performance from Arrival at the Best Actress category. And it's, it's also baffling because the film itself got a lot of nominations. It got Best Picture, Best Director, Best Director Screenplay. Obviously, the Academy liked the film. So it's baffling to think that Amy Adams, the lead of the film, she carried the whole story from beginning to end. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's some twists in there that truly are believable because of her performance. And she didn't get a nomination. And it's baffling that she gets nominated for other Oscar ba- Oscar Beatty films. But when it comes to an actual thought-provoking, unique sci-fi drama, she doesn't get it. And to be honest, it's one of those things that I'm af- after not getting a nomination, I was thinking, oh God, that means that Amy Adams will win at some point, but will she will win for a far, far lesser film than this. And it just, and yeah, I was really frustrated because also she was getting nominated in everything else. So it's not like, like a, a Master Calls, which, you know, it unfortunately didn't have much uh, campaign to push, to push the film to get a nomination. No, Amy Adams was getting nominated in everything except the Academy. And instead, once again, Mel Strape in Florence Jenkins whatever thing, which even Mel Strape, it obviously shows that it was not one of her best works. And and I think I got even more frustrated when the ceremony started. And when it came to the category, and they have the acting clips, and when we went to hers, it was just this one comedic part of her singing terribly. And everyone was laughing. And in my head, I was just thinking of all these clips that we, they could get from Amy Adams from Arrival that had me in tears. And they didn't pick that. They picked the other one. Also, I do want to say, the film, she's not even the lead. Hugh Grant is the lead. But yeah, that's those are, that's the one that frustrates me the most. <laughs> yeah, no, that's understandable. And interesting as well, we're talking about like another year now. So we've almost got ones from every single year. And I definitely agree. You know, I love Arrival. And like you said, a lot of it hinders on her performance. And because of the twist, the stuff you see with her facially and the way that she reacts sells all of that. So I think that 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 is fantastic. Again, you know, difficult. It was up for, you know, best picture, etc. But yeah, in terms of like uh, leading actress, yeah, you got Emma Stone in La La Land, Isabel Hubbard in Elle, yeah, so I can't Natalie Portman and Jackie. I've seen that, but so yeah, I can't. I can't speak for like L and love him, but yeah, I know what you mean. So kind of like the DiCaprio effect, isn't it? Where I felt that he was nominated for The Revenant, whereas he should have won for something like The Wolf of Wall Street or for, you know a, a role that was more d- deserving. Uh, what? What's your second choice? 
My second is, like I said, formal positive. And it's actually back in 2019 when Glenn Close was the forerunner for the wife. And very similarly to a lot of other actors as, and, and directors like Sam Mendes and Jerry Bozeman, they all were winning in every ceremony. And not only winning, but also Glenn Close was, was giving those great speeches full of empowerment and strength and versatility that a legend like herself would have. So this seemed like her moment to actually win. And then the <laughs> and then the, the Oscar night happened. Not only she did win, but it was my favorite performance in that category and possibly in the whole year. And it was Olivia Coleman for the favorite. And her surprise was my surprise, was everyone's surprise. And it was beautiful. It was, uh, for me, was something I didn't expect it would happen. Because no one did. No, because up to that point, she only won a BAFTA. But at that point, we were all thinking, well, she's British. It's a British Academy. They are, it's, no, it's very normal to, to give the awards to one of their own. But man, that that made my day. And her, her speech, it was amazing. It was so pure and wholesome. It was obvious that she did not make any plans or any kind of rehearsal. It was pure Coleman. And actually, even uh, Yoon's uh, speech this year, where she won for Best Supporting Actress, very similar to that, which... Funny enough, Yoon won of who defeated both Coleman and Glenn Close. So, yeah, very sad for Glenn Close, sure. I mean, like, especially with this year, she lost eight times. So, but I do feel that the better performance won, and she's a delight. And also, I do have to say that, like Greg said early on, it's like it's very interesting to see how someone's career continues after the winning award and look at Olivia Coleman now she's in everything she does she did the crown she's gonna be in the secret invasion she's doing more independent films she got nominated again for the father like she's she's truly non-stop and and it's very rare to see an Oscar win to do such a huge effect to someone and especially in such a short time so brilliant like yeah that that year you look at as well but considering rami malik won for bohemian rhapsody there's you know a lot of contention around the stars born because you have both bradley cooper and lady gaga which a lot of people really wanted you know to this day we'll still say about bradley cooper should have won in that category and yeah like you know i was a big fan as well of like melissa mccarthy and can you ever forgive me and while i didn't think she had a big chance i thought it would have been a nice outside bet but at the same time then you watch her like come out with things like thunder force and you're like uh maybe you shouldn't have been awarded uh there but yeah i think but definitely this year they shouldn't have been one of those like glenn close wins for hillbilly elegy just because it's glenn close so the you know the the optics there at least have prevailed in giving it to the performance not the legacy <laughs> but yeah so that is our top awards snubs 
These are just all that add to the dramatics of the night. And, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, with our sports stuff of having your favorites, uh, tell us, at, you know, at home, what are your favorite awards snubs? Uh, but obviously not in the, you know, the light of where we're saying about Chadwick Boseman and Andy Hopkins and that kind of stuff, because, you know, it's still great to be nominated, etc. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Academy will vote how they want to vote. And, you know, if that member is deserving as Anthony Hopkins and both Chadwick were in that moment, uh, but these are just examples of where we felt that maybe they just weren't given the recognition they deserved with just maybe no nomination at all, or just, you know, maybe a lesser sort of performance or one over in the end. Like the Oscars, we're on a tight time frame here, Steph, so we just want to put in one famous Oscar film uh, into our movie vault. So we've just handed this completely over to you now in terms of what you think for all time, the one film from the Oscars, because we haven't talked many times about like sort of big Oscar winners, those kind of legacy films. What is your one choice to go into the movie vault? Well, that's... A very difficult thing to do. <laughs> we give him such an easy task, didn't we, guys? <laughs> yeah, so I decided... Well, I decided to go through the Best Picture nom- uh, winners. And, and there are 93 of them, so not an easy decision. So I decided to go with something maybe a bit more classic. Um, and Which, again, not a difficult task. But I decided to go with something that it was a huge production, a true epic, uh, something that a lot of people still talk about. It was a huge financial success back then. And and it's almost everything that a lot of people miss from an, an Academy Award winning film. Uh, but it is also something that is not easy anymore to make. And it wasn't easy even back then. And that is Lawrence of Arabia. Yes, that kind of epic with the, you know, the big star name, etc. Like I can, yeah, definitely see it. Because when you had that list of like the top ones and stuff, he had the likes of The Godfather and Schindler's List and stuff. And I was like, well, that could come into other categories and topics we talk about in the future. But yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is very much of a typical kind of Oscar fear but then I wouldn't say so like Oscar bait so much, um, but it has so many memorable moments in it. So yeah, it's a good shout. Genuine, excellent choice. So into the movie vault goes Lawrence of Arabia. We hope to discuss and chat about it more in the future. But for today, like I said, we're wrapping up our you know awards discussion here now. So we go to our end game to close things out. We're in the end game now. All right. Endgame time. So this is a game that I lovingly like to call the winner takes it all. There's one aspect of the Oscars I don't think we've never necessarily talked about, um, which is the songs. Uh, There have been some fantastic uh, winning Oscar songs throughout the ages, but I want to see how well you recognize what they are. So this is what the game is. I'm going to play you a segment from various songs, all of which have won Best Original Song at the Oscars. I want you to do two things. I want you to say what the name of the song is and which film it won the Oscar for. Okay? Is everyone clear on the rules? So, name of the song and name of the film that it was from. Yeah. What I will say is I'm going to be very strict on the name of the songs. So think very carefully about this. 
Okay, are we ready for clip number one? Yep. So basically, I want you to write these down. Uh, to write them down, and then we'll reveal later on. Clip number one. So that was clip number one. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so we'll start with David. Uh, yeah, I can't think of this as, if this has got like an alternate name, so I have just had to go in with a generic love lifts us up. <laughs> I can't think what the film is. I, I wanted to say something like The Bodyguard or something, but I know that's I Will Always Love You. So Okay, so Steph, what have you gone with? Up Where We Belong from An Officer and a Gentleman. Okay, so let's go with David. So is the song Love Lifts Us Up Where We Belong? No. Is it up where we belong? Yep. Yeah. Is it the Great film. Is it the bodyguard? Is it an officer and a gentleman? <laughs> I I <laughs> My answer wasn't the bodyguard. I said I was trying to think of a film yeah, like the you, bodyguard. You then didn't give me any other alternatives, so obviously I'm gonna attribute the bodyguard to you. Okay, so that's two points to Steph. Clip. <laughs> Clip number two. Alright. Uh what song and film is that? Five, four, three, two, one. Steph. The is on the wall. From Spectre. David? Yep, the writings on the wall from Spectre. Uh, just checking, are you both putting the writings on the wall? I put writing no, on writing, the wall. No, writing, writing, sorry. I was, I was too into the mood, sorry. Watching you, <laughs> well, I say watching, hearing you both panic when I bring that up. So, Is it writings <laughs> on the wall from Spectre? Indeed it is, so that's yeah. two points each. You're very lucky, guys, like not seeing me mouthing all these songs. <laughs> okay. The emphasis on No Time to Die for so long, though, was getting me, though. I was like, what is it? I was like... Oh, if I, I mean, oh my god, can you imagine the audacity if I tried to put No Time to Die in this, despite the fact that... <laughs> Alright, clip. That would be so offensive. Be like, come on, I, we haven't seen the film yet. Clip number three. in the film all right five four three two one david what is it uh i don't know i just went for a random guess on this it sounded like a musical to me so i'm going with love never dies from phantom of the opera <laughs> that famous uh oscar winning film uh <laughs> steph do you have any ideas i come uh, uh, i i want to say the song is 
the way he makes me feel, and it's from Yento. Okay, so we'll start with David's Phantom of the Opera incorrect guess first. Is it from the Yentl? Oh, shit. It's actually You Must Love Me from Evita. Yeah. Oh, I hate me. I hate me so much. At least much. I was right about the musical thing. You were right about it being a musical. What I was hoping is you'd recognize that was Madonna singing. Right. Oh, I hate me even more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's always the difficulty with the Oscar songs. Is is it a musical or is it something else? Well, that's what made me think the Phantom of the Opera, although not a good adaptation, again, the likes of The Greatest Showman have made it in there. So, you know, when they're scratching, you know, scraping the barrel for songs, they might have just been like, uh. <laughs> right. Clip number four. Who knows what I'm crying. The question is, will our contestants get it? In five, four, three, two, one. David. Uh, so it's definitely the Prince of Egypt, <laughs> which uh, I'd be ashamed if I didn't know that. And then uh, I'm just trying to think whether I go for the obvious or not. Yeah, I'm going to go for When You Believe. Steph? When You Believe, The Prince of Egypt. And you are both... Correct. Hooray. I was worried it was going to be Believe or something like that, and I'm like, God damn it. No, that's, I'm glad you didn't go for what is often the trick, uh, the trap of some people falling with that song is thinking it's called Miracles. Okay. So now we move on to clip number five and i think get ready for a definite tonal shift when it comes to the music here we go what makes that little old ant think he'll move a big rubber plant anyone knows an ant ant move a rubber tree plant but he's got potentially the next line of that song could be the name of the song so think about this very carefully five four three Two, one. Okay, Steph. Hi, hopes. And the film? I don't remember. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> David? Um, I went for, I don't know, like you said, it when it said it leads on to the next layer, so I just went for can't. I'm just thinking it rhymes with ant. <laughs> so, and I put Oklahoma. So you think the next, so the line in total is, but he's got can't. <laughs> I could. I was going to ask you to play it again to remind myself what he okay, said. Okay, I'm the just going to but... play. I'm just going to play the segment just to see what, makes what it that is. Ready? Think he'll move a big rubber plant. Anyone knows an ant? Ant move a rubber tree plant, but he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. Yes, he does indeed have high hopes, which means Steph is. Correct with the name of the song. Uh, the film is A Hole in the Head from 1959. Just goes to show it's one of those where the, the song stood out that the film does. <laughs> As is always the way. Okay, so at this point of the game, uh, David has four, but Steph is marginally in the lead with seven. So it's still everything to play for. 
And so, let's go to our next song. Are we ready? Yep. Yep. Now as the ladder of life has been strung, you might think a sweep's on the bottom most rung. Though I spends me time in the ashes and smoke, in this old wide world there's no happier blow. So in five, four, three, two, one, David. Uh, it was definitely Mary Poppins, but the song, oh God, there's so many avenues it could go. Um, I'm going to go, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to take a gamble and say Chim Chimney and then something like bracket, brackets, Chim Chim Churu, bracket. <laughs> okay, Steph? Uh, chim Chim, oh, sorry, Chim Chi Chiri, sorry. <laughs> uh, Mary Poppins. So... In the film, you're both. So now the names. Steph has gone for Chim Chim Cheri. David has gone for Chim Chimney brackets Chim Chim Cheri. No, no, uh, mm-hmm. no, you're right. Sorry. Just... I mean, you can make me change your answer to the wrong one if you want, Steph, because your answer is. <laughs> well, David, uh... in so many levels, is. What I was hoping is when you were going in brackets, I thought you would at least go chim chim chiri so I could get That's, I could justify yeah. giving you a half mark. You didn't. You literally went for chim chim chiru and I was like, oh David, what have you done? I know. It was a part of the gamble. I did think that I was like, should I go tree? I was like, screw it, I'm gambling already, I'll just go for the alternate. <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking. Okay. So now we come on to the next clip. There's a little jaunty end- ending to that clip. But what's the song in the film? In five, four, three. Two, one, Steph. Butch Cassidy at the Sandance Kid, and the song is Raindrops Keeps Falling on My Head. And David? Uh, I went for Raindrops Keep Falling, um, and I didn't know the film. Okay, so the film is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, so Steph is. The exact name of the song is Raindrops Keep Falling. On my head, so Steph is. Uh. <laughs> I'm gonna give. Get caught up in this simplicity game. I'm just like, maybe it's just raindrops. <laughs> I will give David half a mark for that one, because I'm I'm starting to worry for him. <laughs> okay. You know what? I'm I'm happy for you, David, that you didn't say Spider-Man Two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so we are at our last but one clip. All right. What is that? You guys are so lucky you don't see me right now. Oof. <laughs> Four, three, Doing the dance moves and everything. Two, one. David. I'm going with Jai Ho with an exclamation mark, though I hope that doesn't hinder my point. <laughs> and Slumdog Millionaire. And Steph? Uh, J-Ho, Slamdog Millionaire. 
Okay, so is the film Slumdog Millionaire? Yes, it is. Is the song Jai Ho? It is. Am I going to uh, disqualify David because of the exclamation mark? No, I'm not. He can keep the points for that one. That's absolutely fine. So to be clear, it doesn't have an exclamation mark. I don't think I don't think it does. Or certainly nothing that I've seen suggests that it does. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now we're on to our final clip for this game. Why can't they understand the way we feel? They just don't trust what they can explain. Well, I know we're different, but deep inside us. Should be a nice easy one. To end off with, which basically means that Steph gets more points. Steph? You'll be in my heart by the grateful Carlens from Tarzan. And David? Yep, you'll be in my heart from Tarzan. I know Steph was singing along to that one, definitely. He was just there like... <laughs> so is it You'll be in my heart? And is it from Tarzan? Yes, it is. So that is the end of the game. So David has a respectable nine and a half points. Uh, but the winner of today's game uh, with 15 points is Steph. Yay. Yay. It would have been nice if I had at least known one that Steph didn't. But, you know, still respectable. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Steph didn't know all of them, I think, is uh, telling. So it, It's something. No, don't worry. I, I, I'm beating myself on not knowing Remember Evita. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations, Steph. Thank you for coming on the show today. We've had fun talking all about our favorite Oscar moments, recapping the 2021 uh, show, talking about Oscar snubs. And yeah, it's just always fun talking about the awards season. And hopefully next year, we'll be able to talk about them when we are actually going to the cinema and viewing them. And as Steph said earlier as well, you know, if, if these digital festivals and films are only on rental as well if you can you know if you've got the money to do that then support them in whatever way they can because it's important to support them when they are having to use these more alternative digital methods or when they're having to only be on rental and that'll be very telling in the next few weeks for myself when cinemas reopen if they don't bring some of these films to the cinema such as Minari etc then I will go and rent it at that point as well Stefanos uh, where can you catch you and any last things from yourself yeah you can find me on twitter at syflorakis where you can just see me just re retweeting the same old jokes and the same old memes but just having fun with it and you can find me on Letterboxd. There's going to be a link on my profile where you can see me make short comments and very small reviews on each film I watched in 2021. Uh, two days ago, I surpassed the 157 films. I'm very tired, but it's great. And as final thoughts, like David said, if you can and if it's safe for you, go support local cinemas. And if possible, do if you want to rent any films, I would suggest to go to either Artificial Eye Curzon or the, or the BFI. You don't need to rent anything on Amazon. Jeff Bezos is just fine. He doesn't need he doesn't need your money. He has all the money in the world. So go support all these other associations, which do try to help every independent cinema out there. 
Jeff Bezos is Lex Luthor. I don't know if people have seen, but he like recently wore like a jumpsuit and was in like a mech or something, and they compared it to Lex Luthor in the comics. I was like, he's Lex Luthor. He's evil. Our only salvation is for him to get divorced multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, and and also. Like you said, Stefanos, you can catch what your predictions were and what actually the winners turned out to be if you want to recap the winners of the Oscars over on freshtakehub.com where you've got your article. Um, and you were also on Capes, Cows and Masks with myself uh, reviewing Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So lots of stuff to go uh, find you on. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have a review on Invincible, the first season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so lot, lots to look out for. Um, and I'm assuming... Will will you have internet when you're self isolating after you travel? Oh yeah, will you be able to watch lots <laughs> of films during that like lockdown period. Oh, don't worry, I'll always find material to watch. <laughs> You'll get to three hundred on Letterbox by that point. <laughs> uh, anything, anything lastly from yourself, Craig? And the award for greatest audience of a podcast goes to you guys at home. Yay! Ooh. Yeah, keep. <laughs> Keep listening, keep liking, keep subscribing, keep recommending us to all of your friends. It means an absolute lot to us. So please do that. Yeah, definitely, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our listeners. We're actually approaching like our 50th show. I said earlier, the 43rd, uh, well, good movies. It is the 43rd, you know, as weird as it was that it's like the 93rd uh, Oscars. So, uh, yeah, thank you to all of our listeners. And, yeah, for a moment there, I thought Craig was going to give me the best host um, award. You're you're joking, right? (laughs) So, yeah, thank you guys for joining us. As uh, Craig said, you can catch us on uh, all of our socials, which is Well Good Movies, over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can catch us on freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can also find a bunch of videos and articles, such as the Oscar predictions one from Steph and uh, yeah thank you very much for joining us please do make sure that you share this podcast this episode rate us on uh, wherever you can iTunes give us a review it all helps us to go up in the rankings and yeah I just uh, yeah I don't have any music to sort of uh, play me out at the moment so (laughs) yeah we'll catch you in the next one guys have a good one goodbye see you again la la land sorry I mean bye Please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazim. <laughs>